Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And I Welcome forgot to, to start the, the timer on our 400th episode. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> we haven't done this enough times and I forget. Oh, everything. well, I've got it over here on mine. Okay. There we go. I started. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think if we'd done 400 of these, we would have a clue, but we don't. We've we somehow don't, managed you know? to be clueless. We've gotten some things down. It took us uh, at least three times of losing an episode that we had recorded before we mm. said, hey, geniuses, let's make a backup recording. So we really have done 403, except that we <laughs> haven't because some of those we repeated. That's so right. I'm not sure. Take a guess at how many we've actually done here at the 400th episode. I think we've probably actually done, including the ones we had to redo because we didn't, <laughs> we lost them. I'm gonna say we've done, we've actually probably done like 375. I would say there's we've had 25 deep. fake and like repeated. Yeah, they're from repeated. the vault. <laughs> from the vault. Well, I guess in eight years that's episodes. not too bad. That's not too bad. It's been eight. So we're probably doing 49 a year that are really new. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And it's the end of the year, Crazy. 2022. We're about to go into 2023. We have over 95% of the CEOs that have been polled think we're going into a recession in 2023, and it'll be a deep one. The Federal Reserve yesterday, two days ago, um, came out and raised rates 0.5%, followed by the Bank of England, 0.5%, followed by Euro, 0.5%. So everybody did 0.5%. In lockstep with the U.S., and that brought the federal fund rate to four and a quarter to four and a half. Mm. Um, we are running seven percent inflation in the U.S., which means that unless it comes down, they're going to have to keep raising. And the the bet is they won't keep raising much. But basically, what Powell said two days ago was that they're going to keep raising. They're going to keep the pedal on the on the floor. And they're going to keep raising until they really see that inflation is coming down aggressively. And that meant the market was like unprepared for that sort of real hawkish statement. And it dropped like a brick yesterday. So uh, a couple of days ago, as for when this days. comes out, but we're recording a few days. Well, two days ago. Well, um, a couple of, yeah, yeah, we're on a, we're on a Tuesday. So this is last week. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's really, <laughs> it's really uh, surprising to me because I thought those comments were pretty like standard. Like I think I kind of thought we all knew that they were going to keep on pushing the interest rate until they felt like they got things under control and things are clearly not. So I think these guys on wall street must live in a bubble. I mean, they just must talk to each other and agree that that's enough or something because there was this 
kind of strange response of the market. I mean, honestly, I didn't think they did anything that weren't, wasn't completely expected. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's almost like, I mean, what you think, like what somebody's opinion is and what you actually do can be two different things. And I yeah. wonder if maybe just on the chance or experience having seen that sometimes the fed or the government does a lot of things that are not predictable or not what's expected maybe you wait until it's actually done before you sell you go or buy what whatever you wanted do. to do yeah or you follow the herd which is what most of these guys do so to this point every time we're in i give a... them credit you uh you can't take it <laughs> well i mean honestly they that they're not taught how to invest i mean you have to be fair they are not taught how to invest. They are taught it's an efficient market. They're taught how that to trade. You have to diversify, and they're taught how to trade. Yeah. And people don't realize this, and we've said this so many times. I mean, one of the biggest mutual funds in the world is Fidelity Magellan. These guys are theoretically a buy and hold, broadly diversified mutual fund. And the longest, I was told this by one of their fund managers on a flight I took with him, that the longest they hold a company in that fund is under 90 days. Mm-hmm which is crazy. That's just trading. That's just trading. Straight it's only up. crazy if that's your, if that's not your strategy. Let's well, that's say. true. It's only crazy if, if it's not your strategy to just stay even with the market and benefit from that. And that's to the fund manager's benefit. But yeah. what I wanted to say is to this point that it's going to be a rocky road, we think, very likely, very bumpy road next year. It might be worth going over the that diversified portfolio that Ray Dalio calls the all-weather portfolio that yeah. they sort of invented at Bridgewater. Which we just we got a couple of questions about that talking about. Yeah. Um so, so we got just briefly. What's yeah. that? I was saying we'll just go over it briefly anyway. Okay. Yeah. Do you wanna <clears throat> excuse me, do you wanna describe it quickly and then I'll read the email or do you want me to just straight up read the no, email? No, I just yeah, just don't even read the email. <laughs> I'm Let's just do it. I'm not okay. Read, read the, the email. Thing. This is from oh, Joel. God. Don't read the whole Thanks thing. Thanks for your email, Joel. You've emailed us before, and it's great. Really? I'm really glad you're listening. Um, so he asks. He says the all weather portfolio was useful, but how do Wait we a second, use who? that? You got get us. Give us only reason to read this email is to tell everyone who this is that wrote this. Like you want his last name. Yes. I was trying. I don't know if he wants his last name out there. Put it Joel, out there. This Joel Sarah Bransky, and I'm so sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Joel Sarah Bransky, thank you for from listening. from yeah I from don't know where he's from. It's an email. Well, well, make it up from you. Make it up. <laughs> Scranton, Pennsylvania. From Scranton, Pennsylvania. From Zurich, Switzerland. We don't know where you're from, Joel. All right, what does he say? He says, how do we use that to construct the all-weather portfolio? So he got the, the concept. Here are the buckets. Here's what goes in each one. Now what? How can we utilize this strategy to weather economic storms? Are we supposed to buy a little bit of each asset class mentioned in all the quadrants? Because he's asking, we only know what quadrant we were in after it's happened, after uh, or like right. as we're in it. And so how can he buy ahead of time following that all-weather strategy um, without knowing exactly what's coming? Or, and this is my question, is part of it that you're supposed to try to predict 
what's coming. End of Joel's questions and my question. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's here's the story. First off, um, I would say you guys would be better off than listening to me tell you about all this to go straight to the horse's mouth. Straight to the horse's mouth. Is that right? Yeah. And go to go to Bridgewater. Um, they have a, a white paper written all about how they set up the all-weather portfolio and the history of it. It's at bridgewater.com slash research and insights slash the all-weather story. So bridgewater.com slash research and insights slash the all-weather story. So, um, and I would Google that or just Google the all-weather story Bridgewater and you'll you'll go right to it. Uh, and but let me just tell you quickly what they say in the paper. Should should I do that? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, please. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so um, what it really boils down to is what kind of investment portfolio would you hold that, assuming you're very wealthy, you've got plenty of money, that would perform well across all environments, whether it's a devaluation or something completely different, big inflationary environments, and so on. And so that's they created a portfolio that would do that, and they've continued to have that as one of their major portfolios. Um, and what it all boils down to is breaking the world into um, really four boxes, and and their boxes are different than the ones that I define. I kind of took mine from just reading a bunch of people about mm. all weather portfolios. So I'm mm. going to give you these four boxes according to the pros that put them together. Okay, cool. All right? Yeah. So, uh, it, so draw a matrix. It's got four boxes in it. So, you know, you've got uh, two labels on the left and two labels on the top, and there you go. And there okay. must be some place we can put this kind of stuff up and you can see it, We're theoretically. four boxes yet again. Okay, so um, – in fact, you know what? On the video here, I can show it, or you could show it. Why don't you draw something and then show it? Uh, do that. Or you I could share your, your screen. Optimism. Hey, let me let me share my screen. And I'll just show everybody. Okay. So remember this is a podcast and we don't yeah. have visual. But this is gonna go up on our YouTube channel eventually. <laughs> we'll get yeah. we'll get video. But people are going to be listening to this on audio. You have to share screen. Share so screen. Make sure that you. I will do this, but make sure that we talk about it in a way that is audio. Good. Just while you're talking, share screen. I am, Dad. I don't know how to share the screen. <laughs> it takes a long time. Um, all right. So here comes the all weather portfolio according to uh, Dalio and his team at. Bridgewater. So what I'll describe here for you guys that can't see this is that there's a matrix of four boxes, right? With two labels on top and two labels on the left. The labels on top are growth on the left label and inflation on the right label. And on the top label on the left is rising. And on the top bottom level on the left is falling. Now the left side is about market expectations. The market expects a rising market, rising stock market, or a falling stock market, okay? Yeah, I that's, mean, I would say stock. for people who are looking at their notes from last time, it's it, the same, oh no, wait, is it the same? It's almost the same as the one we 
constructed, just with different terms. Yeah, different terms. Now, in the upper left-hand quadrant, which is growth with a rising market expectation, 25% of your capital, or in, in, in Dalio's words, risk, okay, which is different than capital, but let's just say capital to keep it simple right now. 25% of your money goes into stocks, it's just split evenly, stocks, commodities, uh, corporate bonds, and emerging market bonds. So looking at what corporate and emerging market bonds are going to do is give you higher rates of return because they're riskier. So you have stocks and commodities and corporate credit and emerging market credit because everybody's going to do really good. You might as well get on the bandwagon with the ones that are going to do the most volatile best is their idea there. Mm-hmm. With me there on, on that one, Daniel? I'm with you. I mean, it's the same kind of buckets and categories and stuff. I think the question I have is, what do you do with this? Well, wait, you just, you buy, take 25% of your capital and split it between a commodities exchange traded fund, buying uh, corporate bonds or a ETF that buys corporate bonds and an ETF that buys emerging markets uh, bonds. So all of those are exchange traded funds that you can get and uh, and the stock market. So there you go. You essentially buying, if you're going to do this, you're not going to buy individual stocks. You just buy exchange traded funds for each of these. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So essentially what this chart is saying to me, because it has 25% of the risk or of the capital, as you're saying, in each quadrant. So it's basically what Joel asked, which is like buy a little bit of each bucket and a little bit. And this chart is a quarter of each one. So an equal little yeah. bit. All right. And over in the inflation. But is with- that is that what you would recommend or is that what you're thinking with with the the chart and then categories that you defined yeah i mean these are i I would i would say this is useful i'm going to explain why it's not perfect in a minute okay let's go over each each quadrant here in rising inflation with rising market expectations you put 25 percent of your risk into um, inflation linked bonds which would be in the u.s it would be treasury inflation linked um that would also be um well, yeah, that would be treasury bonds. And again, exchange traded fund does that. And then commodities and emerging market credit. So those three things. And effectively, it's the same thing as the growth quadrant, except you take equities out of it because rising inflation should impact equities negatively, theoretically. And you can see it, that it's doing that in the U.S. markets now. As inflation is recognized, we see the market capping off. And the reason for that is the market isn't stupid, and they know that the the uh, central banks are going to take action to get rid of inflation, so they start to go negative. And because <clears throat> inflation-linked bonds, commodities, and emerging market bonds are all going to have a fairly high rate of return, one which will approximate the rate of return you'd get in the stock market. 
in this type of time period. So you just go with essentially bonds. Then you go over to growth that's falling. In other words, you're you're going down uh, and the uh, market is falling. You've got 25% in your, of your risk in uh, nominal bonds, which is just straight up bonds and inflation adjusted bonds. And then when you've got inflation with a falling market, or a falling market expectation, you go to all equities with nominal bonds. Now, this is Bridgewater's view of the world. And the reason that it's not perfect for you guys or us is because when they say 25% of risk, they're not talking about dollars. But for you and I, <clears throat> it's pretty much talking about dollars because that's how we uh, that's how we put our risk on the table. With these guys, they're institutional, and they can start borrowing money. And that's what they do. They leverage up to take on bonds. And um, and you can see that's why their bonds are loaded up on all of these quadrants is because they're using leverage and bringing the rate of return of a 3% bond up to 9% by using leverage at very low interest rates. So, or by using leverage at a, a broker that's going to give you um, portfolio mar uh, margin. This is not something that you and I can easily do. This is very sophisticated investing that the point of which is to make the rate of return across all of these loaded with bonds buckets as high as you would get in the stock market in a good year, which they think is roughly about 9%. Hmm. So that's the point of all this. And it's so it's so much more sophisticated. So the second place I would go for more information about this, I'll stop sharing this, is to Tony Robbins's book on money. And in it, he's got a discussion with Ray Dalio on this strategy, on the all-weather strategy. And Ray gives Tony a view of this um, that is much different than what they do at Bridgewater and isn't going to get you great returns in several of these buckets, but it will get you positive returns. So it's a great way to protect, a, a, if you already got money and you want to protect it, and you don't want to learn how to invest the way we do it, the way Buffett does it, then this is a, a good solution um, that you might want to try out. It's interesting because, okay, wait, wait, let's just make sure we answer the question. So do you buy a little bit of each quadrant? And sounds like yes. Yeah, you buy, you spread out, spread your money across all of them. Okay. And you would do that regardless of what you see coming. The whole idea of this portfolio is you buy a little bit of all of them whenever you start. That's right. So that That's you're right. ready for any weather coming along. Yes. That's right. Okay. I think that's such a good question and one that I did not bring out properly. So I'm, I'm hammering it because I want to make sure it's clear to me as well. So, so now, now, now that I've kind of gone over, over what Bridgewater shows, what they do, um, you think it might be valuable to go over what Ray Dalio said you can do when he talked okay. to Tony? Sure. Okay, let's do that. Let me share my screen again. Okay, so now you can see the quadrants are the same. They're growth and inflation on the top and rising market, falling market on the side. But now this we see comes a little out bit. of Tony Robbins' book. Yes. Tony Robbins' book, right. 
Okay, so See let me little, just, just describe this for everybody listening. As you just said, they're the same quadrants. Growth and inflation, rising and falling. And so the only differences I'm seeing here is the stuff in the actual boxes. Yeah, what they actually define it as. So in the rising growth quadrant, it's stocks, corporate bonds, commodities, and gold. In the rising inflation box, it's commodities and gold plus inflation-linked bonds, which are TIPS, T-I-P-S, in the mm -hmm. U.S. In growth falling, um, it's treasury bonds and inflation-linked bonds, which are TIPS. And during an inflation falling, it's treasury bonds and stocks. So it's pretty close to the same, but a little clearer about what you can actually go buy. Totally. Now, again, the huge difference here is that Dalio's Bridgewater uses leverage to increase and that's why they call it risk it's not capital to them it's risk defining the amount of risk that you're taking in each one of these assets and making them all the same super clever and and hard to do really very it difficult would be very, yeah that would be yeah, really for an individual investor on that would be really interesting really interesting so tony has taken a kind of a shortcut here and i will tell you frankly i think it's kind of bs a little bit. I'm Ooh, sorry, Tony. Fabulous. Well, it wouldn't because... be Tony, right? It'd be Ray Dalio. Well, no, I think it's kind of Ray trying to figure out how to answer Tony's question. Okay. And ending up with something sort of like this. The problem is that we've just come through a time period when treasury bonds and inflation linked bonds um would be a horrible place to put money. They have almost no rate of return at all. Yeah. Um, so when you have rising expectations of the market and growth, you've got your money in corporate bonds, commodities, gold, and stocks would have done okay. Um, but when you see rising market and inflation like we've had, um, the stock market did really well over the, you know, from 2000, well, I guess from 2019 to 2022, it's gone up some. It's gone up some. And maybe this isn't so bad, actually, now that I'm looking at it. Say it again, because... What, okay, what so just looking at what kind of time, what, what kind of sort of weather we've been in, let's say since uh, 2009, we've been in a rising market. Now, the question is whether it's market expectations or not, but let's just say we've been in a rising market, um, but growth has been hard to come by, right? Right. So rising market and and low growth, it doesn't really fit in here that well. So if you say, well, That's we our expectation, right? You see that? It's like we had a moment here that doesn't fit the slide. And that moment Which... lasted is why we've got very smart people that we listen to like you and Buffett saying yeah this is off yeah something's I, wrong something it's not you, adding up to make this work for an individual investor would be I think very very hard um I think that would be tough I, I think at best you're going to get a mediocre return and you certainly wouldn't have seen the 13 to 14 percent returns for a decade that came in the stock market you would have diversified yourself completely out of it into bonds that are producing like a 2% return, 1% return for a decade. I think your portfolio would have sucked really badly over the last 
10, 12 years. Meaning like due to this portfolio strategy, you would have owned some of everything and therefore the amount of the stock market that you probably would have owned would have been so small as to not make much of a dent in the overall returns. Yeah. I mean, look at what you'd have in stocks across this thing. It's just, you're not heavy in stocks at all. And that is just not the way Dalio does it at all. So I, I, this is a fun idea and you'll see people write about it online, like as if it really worked great. And you probably see some good statistics on hindsight um, that they modeled their portfolios once they knew what had happened. Those are always great. Right. Looking backward portfolios, but in general, if, you know, in general, you should have been in the stock market for the last 12 years, for sure, no matter what. And um, and ideally, you're investing the way we do, the way we're trying to to teach from what Buffett's taught us. So um, I think maybe well, weather's got issues here. Maybe a better question is, is there a time that it's bad to own stocks? Yeah. Is there a great. weather? In which it's bad to own stocks. Yeah, there is. And we're going into it right now. There's a weather where it's bad to own stocks. In my lifetime, I've seen this and I can see it historically over and over again in big chunks of time of, you know, 15 to 20 years in a row, it'll be a bad idea to own stocks. If what you mean by owning stocks is buying the whole market. That's right. Yeah. Right. From 1965 to 1983, the rate of return on the whole market was zero. From 1929 to 1956, the rate of return on the whole market was zero. From 1903 to 1921, the rate of return on the whole market was zero. Those are big, huge pieces of time right there. So the idea that you should just always own stocks is a fiction of Wall Street's imagination and comes loaded with statistics. It's true um, by looking at things like produced by Wharton, Jeremy Siegel, Wharton, terrific value type professor, uh, value investing type professor, who found that if you had put your money in stocks in 1800, put in one dollar in stocks in 1800, you'd have eight, you'd have a million dollars in 1800 dollars adjusted for inflation. You'd have a million dollars with 1,800 buying power. You'd be a real, actual millionaire in 1,800. Massive, massive. Meanwhile, gold gave you $3 and bonds gave you 1,600. So, And the dollar, by the way, turned into about three cents. So it really looks like, obviously, over the long haul, you should own stocks absolutely better than anything by an order of magnitude. And... The problem with that is that there are these 20-year chunks of time, which just you just go nowhere. It's zero. And we've just come through 13 years of nothing but up. And it's very likely we're in for a, a decade or more of nothing but sideways. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So the, it's really, as usual, the crux of it is own stocks, but own the right stocks. Own the right stocks and, and buy them. buy them only at the right time. Simple, but not easy. Ah, simple, but not easy. But I'm telling you, you've been through one of the hardest periods of my life is these last five years in terms of investing rates Mm -hmm. of return, how the, how the strategy is working, all that extremely difficult because the market is so massively overpriced. And that makes it very hard to find things that are on sale by 
the normal, you know, the normal numbers we would consider to be on sale. But that's going to correct itself, I think, over the next decade. And we are going to see more like the action in the market in the 70s when Buffett made most of his money and billions of dollars then. When the market itself went nowhere, but in the process of going nowhere, it would go from 1,000 on the Dow down to about 600, and then back to 1,000, then down to 700, then back to 1,000, then down to 500, then back to 1,000. It did that 12 times. So if you apply the strategy that we are going to encourage you to use, you will buy companies when they're on sale and you sell them when they go back up to their intrinsic value and you'll buy them back when the market recorrects. And that strategy is fabulous because you don't have to time the market. All you're doing is selling things that have gotten to intrinsic value and buying them back when they're cheap. That's great. And so where the market as a whole and a diversified portfolio goes nowhere for 20 years, you get a zero rate of return. People that are doing this kind of investing are making targeting a 26% return. And obviously your skill set matters a lot yeah. in terms of what you're picking. Yeah. But in general, if you get a big margin of safety and you look at buying 10 to 20 stocks over this whole 20 year period, you're going to do really, really well. I mean, you, you might if not you make 26 right percent ones. Well. If you pick the right ones. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I feel like this was a good 400th episode because it kind of like took a very intriguing concept of a different investing strategy and took it very seriously in the last two episodes. But I mean, what really struck me when you were talking about the graph that Dalio put in his Bridgewater paper is how sophisticated those asset classes were. Yeah. And you're going like, well, just, you know, you could do this. And I'm like, or you, you know, if you don't want to bother learning how to like choose great companies, like, dude, this is so much more complicated and hard to learn. Like that would take it, it, a lot of time to understand all those different asset classes. And really not that you couldn't is. do it. I mean, if you're fascinated by it, go for it. But to right. me, like companies are way easier. And by the way, if you do, if you do get interested in this all weather and you, you really want to pursue it more, there's some great write-ups on Seeking Alpha. If you Google Seeking Alpha All Weather, you can see people have really tried to match the Dalio methodology with um, leveraged ETFs and all sorts of cool things. And it is not easy to, Aren't to build there that. Even thing. some sort of like they're not from Bridgewater, but there's kind of some copycat ETFs out mm -hmm. there where you can mm -hmm. somebody's maybe the all weather to crack ETF the algorithm. So to, oh, well, it's called the All Weather ETF. There you yeah. go. We'll try to find that one. Like this is not so, a secret and it's been no, it's not a secret hashed a over and hashed over and nobody's quite like clearly Dalio is keeping a lot of information proprietary and in-house, exactly. which is completely appropriate. Um, so, and so whatever that secret sauce is, he has not let it out and nobody's yeah. quite figured it out. I don't think. And you don't see us suddenly going, oh my gosh, we've, we've got a better idea here. Uh, uh, or no. it's your secret sauce and you're not. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, we should wish everybody um, a majorly wonderful holiday here. Absolutely. And sign off. Um, Dad, I'm grateful for our 400 episodes. I'm grateful for the time we've spent together. You teaching me about life and investing and the intersection between the two and listening to me and my crazy questions and 
thoughts and trying to decipher it all out. I'm really grateful that we have done this together. Never in a million years would I have thought we would do this together, but it's um, been amazing. And I know that we would not have had these discussions were it not for making it into a podcast and having everybody else out there wanting the episodes and listening and being interested because we are busy and lazy and we would have done something else. <laughs> our, our investing style fits our our uh, sort of just personalities. You know, laziness bordering on sloth works really well for me. And, also, like, uh, I love fascinated by way. cool stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. And honey, I, I thank you for all of that. And just want to thank you for having this idea that we would do this together. It's been just the, the greatest blessing to have, you know, have you sort of interacting with me across something that I love doing so much and seeing you come to really enjoy it and, and, and really understand it and do it on your own and help other people do it. It's been fabulous. And I really love our weekly get togethers and yeah. chance to chat across, you know, the ocean. Thank yeah, yeah. God for zoom. And <laughs> it really is amazing it, how much I've liked amazing. it. Like I really have felt, and I've said this to like doctors and stuff in this sickness or haven't been able to do investing research. I just feel like my arm's been cut off. Like a part of me has been cut off and that's been incredibly difficult it's also been a bit of a gift to realize how much I love doing. And what what more can I say? Investing research. Like it's like the nerdiest sentence on the face of the earth, but I really <laughs> like it. <laughs> oh man. I'll tell you what, it it's so cool to hear you find that silver lining on what has been such a challenging two and a half years now. And um, I really love it that you're, you're strong and you're coming back and you've been disciplined and you've been so brilliant at staying on the, the bright side of things and on the positive side of things and looking for the gains and not being taken down too badly by the, by the reversals that you've been going through for so long. And just very, very proud of you, honey, that you've managed to, to uh, maintain such great spirits across this long this long haul Thanks. so i'm very grateful for that i'm very grateful you're getting well i'm very grateful we're able to do all these and and i'm very grateful we've been able to do 400 podcasts yeah so amazing it's a crazy it's just crazy and we wish all of you a fabulous 2023 i think get your ducks in a row because i think this is where you start generational wealth right here 2023 is going to be the year exciting yep all right everybody, everybody we're not going to put up a episode next time next week not even one from the vault just full-on break and yep. we will be back in the new year so see you in 2023 see you in 2023 bye guys bye, everybody see ya Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor 
nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.